exercises. I'm Rachel Amaday. Thrilled to be back with you all just doing a regular podcast. I know it's been a few weeks. I was out of town at a baseball tournament with my son in the heat of Texas. It was like 108 degrees out there, guys. Totally bonkers. Um, And then came back to Colorado where we've been having the most ridiculous season of rain in like decades, apparently. And boy, are we having an interesting summer that doesn't feel like summer. And I know I'm not supposed to complain about any of this. Um, Just just be thrilled and, and happy that I'm here in the United States and I have all of these wonderful freedoms. But I do have to say it is kind of a strange shift. I've lived in Colorado most my whole life and have been very used to it being a desert. And uh, we are having some very strange weather this year. So um, anyways, we've been busy. We've had a lot to handle, deal with, a little bit of flooding, etc. But I am back and uh, excited uh, to bring you some just actually two major concerns I have right now uh, for believers and non-believers. And these are areas of concern because I have seen so many debates, so many people discuss these issues from a perspective that um, I don't think is helpful. I think we're doing a lot of damage out there with some of the answers we're giving non-believers. And then in our own discussions about the end times, I think we're also doing a lot of damage. And I'm going to explain that to you today. And I just want to give you something to think about. I want to give you some ideas to chew on and perhaps uh, some different Uh, research that you may want to go do or go listen to a couple of my other podcasts and interviews to gain a little better understanding of these issues. So my two great concerns, we're going to start with the first one. I've heard this so much lately. We have to address this as a church correctly, um, accurately, and have a good answer for this. Too many people reject God because of the stories in the Bible that they don't understand, and Christians are not answering. Um, There are a couple main objections to the God of the Bible, and these objections are relevant. These are reasonable questions, and these stories actually do really scare people about the God of the Bible, and frankly, I never had really good answers for these either until probably the last five to seven years of my faith walk. I've always just had to ignore them and hope that no non-believer brought them up, which is a pathetic way to address Bible stories. We just can't do that, right? We need to have a good answer for everything. And so let's talk about this. Biggest um, objection to the God of the Bible seems to almost always be the stories of Noah and the Canaanites where God destroys entire civilizations, entire groups of people. It is reasonable for a human being to not understand that a God who loves people and who sent his son to die for people would also just destroy men, women, and children alike. This is very hard for people to wrap their heads around, and rightly so. This is a legitimate question. Please, you know, everybody out there who's like, well, you know, God gets to decide what he wants to do. Listen. 
God didn't give you the story so that it could be enwrapped, you know, like wrapped up in so much mystery that you could never understand the character of him through it. He gives you these stories to reveal something about what's going on. Yes, there's a lot of mysteries around God. Yes, we cannot judge the hearts of mankind like God can. There's a lot of mystery, right? And there's so much we don't know. But these stories are shared for a reason, and they're shared in a very specific way. We have to deal with them. We can't just throw them out and say that, well, this is not, you know, a legitimate discussion because we can never know the mind of God. You're right. We're not going to know the mind of God, but we can certainly know what he put on the page. So let's dig into this, please. We must. First of all, um, we're going to we're going to talk about the Canaanites first. If you recall, the Canaanites get destroyed out of the promised land. You know, they're completely, um, I mean, the word all in scripture doesn't always mean all, but they're comp- they're they're wiped out, right? But who are the Canaanites? Number one. Well, what we what we kind of understand is the Canaanites were actually probably giants or hybrids. They were um, you know, the Amorites get mentioned, and the Amorites seem to be a specific set of the Canaanites. They're the ones that get destroyed. Those terms, Canaanite and Amorite, could be used interchangeably. Uh, from Genesis 15, we see this. Um, Abraham is told in Genesis 15 that God, the iniquity of the Amorites has not been fully realized, basically. And so they're not going to be gotten rid of until their iniquity is fully realized. God gives them hundreds of years to repent and turn from the wickedness, the wicked things that they were doing. You know, they were obviously worshiping other gods, child sacrifice, all sorts of evils, great evils. Um, But they were likely also, they had also probably been manipulated, had their DNA manipulated manipulated. And so these were giants. They weren't just regular people. These were people who were uh, devouring the earth. And when that phrase comes up in scripture, you can bet they were devouring humans. They were eating each other. This was a very wicked group. And um, so we, we see that they get completely destroyed. They're completely wiped out. People don't understand why would God do this? Well, listen, We'll go to the story of Noah to understand this a little bit more, but if you have hybrid beings on the earth that maybe aren't human and you don't want them because they're giants and they're incredible warriors and they're devouring everything, that you don't want them to destroy the whole earth, you are eventually going to bring your nation there like God did and destroy them. And you can't just keep their children around because their children will then have children and then you will have the same problem in 50 to 100 years. Not to mention, again, these might not be normal human beings with human souls. This might be a completely separate hybrid being that was existing on the earth. By the way, it's very possible these things still do exist on the earth in a different way, shape, or form. We are messing so much with the DNA right now. Who knows what's going to come out down the pipeline in about 20 years? So the same stuff that was happening in those days is happening in our days. We see the Bible predicts this. The Bible says what was going on in the days of Noah will be happening in the end times. There was DNA manipulation going on there. Let's go to the story of Noah to understand this more clearly. 
Remember, in the story of Noah, it says that the sons of God came into the daughters of men and created these hybrid beings, these other beings. And they were not human souls, but these were Nephilim. Okay, they had their own souls. We consider that the Nephilim that were destroyed during the flood may be destroyed by the nation of Israel. Their souls wander the earth. There was no place made for their souls to rest. These are demons. Okay, but they were created through a hybrid being. Demons are not human. They're not human souls. And so when when the Bible says that Noah was perfect in his generations, there are many theories that that word perfect means genetically clean. He was still a human being and his family were still human beings. He was the one who could carry on human beings on the planet afterwards. But what's interesting, and Dr. Doug Hamp brought this up in my last podcast, he said, the Bible says what was going on in those days and afterward. So it didn't just happen before the flood. This same behavior of messing with human DNA, creating hybrid beings happened afterwards. And this idea of mixing like that is forbidden in scripture. We've talked about this. You're not supposed to mix seeds. You're not supposed to mix certain fabrics. The reason being they become weakened or they become mutated. They become something they're not supposed to be. And we see this when you mix the seed of mankind with the seed of something else, you don't get men, you get something else. And so this is the story happening on the earth at the time. So this is a decent answer. Listen, if any non-believer you come to, you know, you speak to is any fan whatsoever of something like ancient aliens or has any belief that there's, you know, interdimensional beings or anything else that's out there, they would understand the concept of the Bible speaking or preaching about, teaching about hybridized beings and that God did not want this on the earth. There was no place made for the Nephilim. This was not part of God's plan, right? These, these were not beings that God created. This isn't what he planned. It was wicked what was going on. It was incredibly destructive to the earth. And you see that in these stories. When the people go into the land of Israel and they see these giants, they say they're, they're devouring everything. They're just, it's just not normal what's going on, right? That's their report. The, the, the bad spies report about the land is to be terrified of these things because they were terrifying. Um, and there are lots of ancient stories outside of the Bible that speak to these giants. Um, and you know, the King Og was a giant in scripture and we have Goliath as a giant in scripture, but you have other ancient peoples recording stories of giants. Gilgamesh, the tales of Gilgamesh, this was a giant. This was like a King Og character and he was 15 feet tall, right? He was huge and, and he had all these tales of his, uh, you know, the, the, the great feats that he did. Well, yeah, if you're 15 feet tall, you're going to be able to do unbelievable things. And so, so many ancient peoples have these stories. And then the Bible has these stories. And so, you know, it's interesting these things actually align. And, you know, you think people think, oh, this is just mythology. No, this is real. This was really happening. This is a physical event. And this is at least one decent answer for your non-believing friends or your friends who question these stories in the Bible. Listen, these weren't human beings. You know, God God did not indiscriminately just take out all of these people. He was taking out things that not only 
were maybe not human beings, but remember the Canaanites, the Amorites, they had had hundreds of years to stop their horrific practices and their blood, bloody behavior, and they didn't. And so, you know, that's just not something that the earth will tolerate, um, that God's God and his planet will tolerate forever. And God gave them 400 years, which is very patient, in my opinion. I don't think we would give them that amount of time, actually. So, so that story of Noah actually ties into my second great concern that I want to speak to you about today. And I think this is very important because I am seeing it everywhere. I'm sure you are too. Listen, we have too many terrible misunderstandings of end times prophecy being taught out there in the world. The obvious one, let's start with just the obvious one being these folks that have picked these very specific end times dates. They're like September 23rd, 19, you know, whatever date they've chosen and they've been wrong time and time again. So many so-called prophets have gotten this wrong and caused people to fall away from the faith and to laugh at believers Rightly so. What nonsense, right? So anyone who's throwing out these exact dates right now, at least at this point, should be considered questionable. This just really wrecks people's faith and it leads people astray. We're not going to have any idea of the return of Yeshua until I think we see the two witnesses. And we have not seen them, okay? The two witnesses are going to be obvious according to scripture. They're able to bring fire down from heaven, cause droughts, Um, cause plagues. They're dressed in sackcloth. They're dressed in mourning. We'll talk about them in a second, but um, there's no reason that anybody right now should be giving a specific date and and being dogmatic about it. This is just bad, and it's bad for the the faith. Um, The second misunderstanding that I think is really problematic is people who are holding on too tightly to a pre-tribulation rapture or a pre-tribulation return of Christ. Uh, I think this is really going to cause people to fall away. I don't think the Bible describes anything like a pre-tribulation return of Christ. And I think what will end up happening is the tribulation will start. These things will happen. And people who believed that to their very core are going to fall away. They're going to stop believing. They're going to give up. They're going to be incredibly discouraged. And they're not going to be prepared the way that God has you know, told us to be prepared for what's happening. And so I think this is a dangerous belief to teach dogmatically. You can believe that if you want to, and and you can kind of keep that in your heart if you want to. You can even tell people you believe it. But to teach it dogmatically, if you're wrong, the consequences are extraordinary, right? Now, if you're right, we all win, right? It's great. But if you're wrong, man, there are so many people who could easily just fall away and also not recognize when they're in the end times, when they're in that moment, because they so firmly believe that God's going to rapture them before that moment, they won't know where they are or when they are, right? So um, it's much more dangerous to believe that than to believe that you have to get through the tribulation to see Christ. And so I would just say that dogmatic teaching of that belief is very problematic. The third belief that I see out there in some way, shape, or form is called preterism. Um, And I pulled some of these definitions from online, but full preterism or hyper-preterism is the belief that all prophecy in scripture has already happened. The word preterism comes from the Latin preter, which means past, as in the prophecy has already been fulfilled in the past. However, there's also the partial preterist position. This is someone who thinks that the most biblical that most biblical prophecies have already been fulfilled, but not all. One theologian sums it up saying, um, 
The coming of Christ in judgment was fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Satan and the Antichrist have already been thrown into the lake of fire, and the kingdom of God has arrived. The resurrection is understood in spiritual terms. The Great Commission has been fulfilled. All things have been made new. The old heaven and earth have passed away. The new heaven and earth have come. The promised restoration has arrived, and the world now continues as it is ad infinitum, end quote. Oh, boy. I have, there's so many issues with this, I don't really know where to begin, but um, here's a few problems around this position to start. You have to then, just like this, the quote did, you have to allegorize too much of prophetic stories in order to make this work. Nothing can be literal, right? And that's very problematic when you're reading scripture. The Bible makes clear that Yeshua's coming as king will be unmistakable. It's going to be seen by everybody and understood globally. So, that how how did that happen even if you say AD 70 Jerusalem fell that is not an unmistakable return of the king of king yeshua and i don't know how you make a claim that the old and the new you know the old is gone the new has arrived unless you refuse to read any prophecy as literal everything is somehow spiritual but the bible tells us that the physical world is a shadow of the spiritual. And so if there's no shadow in the physical world of these spiritual things taking place, you have a giant problem. We don't have King Yeshua reigning in Jerusalem as prophesied right now. And certainly the world is still filled with corruption and and is being run into the ground. Yeshua, when he is king, is going to run the world quite well. I do not understand this. Um, additionally, Tell me in this historical context, that context, then, who were the two witnesses? They're supposed to be seen by everyone. They're supposed to be in sackcloth. They're supposed to ha be able to give plagues. And, you know, they have a very specific time period for their ministry. This never happened historically. Yes, we did. And it's a different time period that I'm going to quote here. We did have a mini Antichrist set up with King Antiochus, right? And this is where we get the Hanukkah story. Antiochus greatly persecuted the Jews for three and a half years. This was between the Old and the New Testaments. This is the book of Maccabees, if you're ever interested in reading it. Um, this is historically true. This just happened. This happened. It's it's you know, historical. But King Antiochus did defile the temple. He did persecute the Jews for the right amount of time. And they did have um, a man uh, come lead a rebellion successfully, and they were able to rededicate the temple. Um, but that all happened before Yeshua's return. And in fact, you see Yeshua celebrate the Feast of Lights or the Feast of Dedication in the New Testament. He goes to Jerusalem for it. But... Um, that certainly can't be what they're referencing as the return of Christ because Christ didn't return at that time. And the destruction of the temple doesn't fulfill many of the prophecies around Christ's return. So this is a very danger, in my opinion, this really leads people astray. Um, what about the promised bodily res resurrection of the living and the dead? Did that already happen? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul warns against those who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection had already happened. So Paul says they are upsetting or overthrowing, overthrowing the faith of some. Yes, this belief system would upset and overthrow many people's faith. Because if you teach this, People are going to be able to observe and look around and say, well, none of that actually happened. And how would I know if it happened in the spiritual realm in some way, shape, or form? This is the most bizarre theory with the least amount of biblical evidence or physical evidence out there. Additionally, what about the promised thousand-year reign of Christ? 
If all prophecy took place around 70 AD, then the thousand-year reign of Christ has long expired by now. This thousand-year reign, for your information, was believed in by ancient rabbis before the New Testament was even written because they understood that a thousand years is like a day to the Lord, and the Sabbath rest is the seventh day. It's at a thousand-year time frame. This theme is repeated throughout Scripture and especially tied up very nicely in Revelation. We know there's a thousand-year reign of Christ. Preterism has to completely deny that this is a reality. So how much will someone who believes the preterist view be deceived when the end times plays out? They're going to be very deceived. They're not going to understand what's going on. It won't make any sense to them. And once again, they're going to fall into doing some things or agreeing to things that God says don't do, don't agree to this. Um, I also think there is a great misunderstanding of the two witnesses. So this is what Revelations 11, Revelation 11, starting in verse 3, states, And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want, end quote. Now, most people believe these two witnesses are Elijah and Moses. It makes sense because you've got some of the signs of Moses right there in what they're able to do to the world. Listen sackcloth they're wearing sackcloth uh doug hamp talked about this in in my podcast last week sackcloth is repentance they are coming to mourn over the sins of the earth and to tell people to repent this is a call to return to god's ways but will the church accept their version of repentance i have a hard time believing it the church today in this day and age doesn't even really understand repentance nor do they believe that you have to return to the laws of god because many churches don't believe the laws of god still stand and yet we know these two witnesses will come with sackcloth to tell people to repent and to turn back to god's ways and not only that they're going to be able to make people unbelievably miserable there is no doubt that the earth is going to view these two as alien enemies you know, they're going to have all these strange powers. And so they're going to think they're otherworldly and they're going to despise them. We know this because when they're killed, the earth rejoices. People on earth rejoice. What is the church doing in the middle of all of this? Or what are, what is like the main line kind of middle of the road Western Christianity doing when the two witnesses are on the earth? Do they understand who they're looking at? And do they understand who these people are? I am not certain they're going to. I don't think they've really looked at the, the ministry of the two witnesses, who they were and who they will be. And I think this will cause, again, many people to fall away. Many are going to perceive them as enemies instead of perceiving them as the last warning, right? The last moment of warning before we have the return of Christ at which every knee will bow every tongue will confess. These are just a few of my concerns over the end times teachings going on out there. There are many, there are many, and it's why I bring you some of these other views of how the end could play out, because I want you to open your mind a little bit and not be stuck in what is possibly very bad doctrine that will leave you confused and baffled if these signs come during your lifetime or 
even with what you teach your kids and our children's children. We don't want them to be super confused about what they're seeing. We know that the enemy will be so deceptive that it says they will even be, be able to almost deceive the elect. Israel itself will, will almost be able to be completely taken in. So this is going to be a tricky time. This is not going to be easy to parse out. And you must be able to listen to the Holy Spirit and get rid of any sentimental ideas that you have about this that might have taken root when you were a kid or, you know, just growing up in regular Christian church. Um, all these ideas about when the rapture would take place or when Christ would return or, you know, all these things. We need to go back. What does the Bible actually say and teach? What are the patterns that you see in scripture about how God operates and what he does? And who are these characters that show up in this story? Is it possible that all of that has already happened? Well, my study of history and, and what the Bible has had to say, no. And I'll give you the final, final, I think, nail in the coffin for that one. It's Deuteronomy 30, which is prophetic. And I guarantee you, you will listen to this and agree it has not already happened. Let's read it. So it says this, When all the blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your ancestors. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law, and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Listen, are the, are the enemies all receiving all the curses yet? No. No. Are we all more prosperous and numerous than, than our ancestors? Um, are all of our hearts and the hearts of our descendants circumcised? Are we obeying all of the laws of God? Um, have we really had the Jeremiah 31 prophecy take place where we no longer have to teach our neighbor about the Lord, but everyone will know who God is, right? Everyone will have understanding. There's so much prophecy that has not taken place. It's not happened yet. These, you know, prophecies that have happened all throughout scripture, we're still waiting. Again, we know that when Jesus actually rules and reigns, it's commanded in Zechariah that uh, people from every household will have to go to Jerusalem and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles with the Messiah, or else their land will receive no rain. Well, when has that taken place? That hasn't taken place yet. We haven't been told we ha we're to go to Jerusalem and, and do this, and then our land will receive rain. That's not happening. We have too many prophecies that have not taken place. So we know that we have a second coming of Yeshua physically that we will all see and understand. The Bible says it will be unmistakable.
It will be like lightning in the heavens from the east to the west. It will be known throughout the entire world. There will be no mistaking the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, and he will reign for a thousand years. The Bible is way too clear about this. It will be a physical reign on the earth in which the peoples will have to visit uh, Jerusalem for at least one of the holidays. These are prophecies that have not taken place. And so, again, when you get into some of these beliefs and some of these strange, you know, people saying that Jesus already, you know, fulfilled all of this or that um, we're going to be raptured beforehand, even though it says that the elect are, are still on the earth when Jesus arrives, they're not raptured beforehand. It says that he has to actually basically speed up time. He has to shorten up time so that not everyone will be destroyed. And he does this for the sake of Israel, um, his elect, his chosen people. Listen, there's just too much prophecy that's getting twisted around out there. And I'm not saying I, 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 I will not be dogmatic about my ideas either. But what I'd like to do and what I'd like you to do is be careful with what you internalize and decide to make a part of your actual doctrine. Don't be dogmatic about this stuff. Be open because there are many ways that this might all come about and you have to be able to recognize what you're seeing when you see it. This is important. I know for many centuries, many people didn't think studying prophecy was important, but I believe that for us and for our children and our children's children, this could be very, very, very important. So let's be careful with this stuff. Um, let's be careful with the teachers that we follow on this. Let's make sure that they're going to the Bible, to scripture for what they're saying and that they can back it up. Let's make sure they don't have to allegorize too many things that the Bible says happen physically on the planet. When you make 100% of the Bible only spiritual, then there's no confirmation anywhere in nature. And yet, what are we told? You should be able to go outside and look into the field and see the kingdom of God, see what is happening. The physical world is a reflection of things going on in the spiritual realm. If you cannot see it anywhere in the physical world, you need to understand you might not have the right understanding of what God is saying um, about something. This should be reflected. We should have shadow versions of these things taking place if it's all spiritual, but it's not. Um, we have to get get ourselves away from that idea. There are some things in scripture that are allegory. There are some things that are metaphor. There are some things that are just beautiful songs that are pictures of future events. I would say a lot of song of songs, right? Um, there's a lot in Psalms. There's a lot in Proverbs that is um, stories that are actually metaphors for prophetic things that are going to take place, right? So we do have some of that, and it's usually given in that kind of a form, a very poetic or kind of song-like um, form. And so we can, we can go to that and understand that that's taking place. But what John was seeing was real and literal. And what Jesus spoke about, you know, in Matthew especially, is real and it's literal. He wasn't trying to spiritualize everything. He wasn't creating some fanciful spiritual situation only. It was something that you would be able to see with your own eyes and experience with your own physical experience. And so just be careful. Let's let's be careful about what we promote dogmatically and what we listen to and internalize um, and go to the word and ask the Holy Spirit to help you discern and understand um, 
what where we are in time and what God's call on your life is and what you should and shouldn't be teaching and how to guide and direct your families and your children righteously and with right, a righteous perspective and righteous ideas. All right. This has been super fun. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Till next time.